The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's chapter number 15. Does, does, it sound, does it sound like I'm in a tunnel to you all out there? Uh, Brother Matt, I don't know what's causing that, but can you shut everything off except for my microphone? Just mute it all, take it all down, and just this one here. Just leave it on, and then everything else off. Can you hear me now? And that sound good? Perfect. All right. It is about to drive me nuts, this PA. I don't know what's going on with it, but it, we had the problem last week and worked on it, and then all of a sudden it reared its ugly head again. So Romans 15, and chap, uh, chapter number 15, verse number 8 and uh, we'll read down through verse number 13 this morning. We have been uh, through our, going through our studies here on, and through the book of Romans. Uh, we started in chapter number one about February of last year. And uh, we will be concluding here pretty soon uh, the entire book. We broke it up, of course, into several different types of uh, uh, series as we went through different uh, parts of the book. Chapter 1 through 5 is, of course, focusing on uh, the fact that we're all sinners. And so we, uh, of course, entitled that Law and Order. Uh, then chapters 6, 7, and 8 deals with the fact that uh, through Christ we can have salvation, and, and we entitle that Amazing Grace. And then 9, 10, and 11 is kind of parenthetical chapters in uh, the book of Romans where Paul pauses from the uh, overview of, 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 of uh, dealing with everyone in the church at Rome and focuses really solely on the Jewish recipient there. Uh, but there was many things that we were able to learn from that and derive from the scriptures there. But we entitled that portion of, of scripture through that series, Supremely Sovereign, as we understood that God is in control. This last, this last series that we're in that's going to close out the book, as you have seen on the screen, is entitled Transformed. And uh, that, of course, is the theme of, of these last few chapters, that when we have accepted Christ as our Savior, He does a transformation process beginning from on the inside, and it will ultimately work its way out. It will show forth the fruits of the Lord's work in our lives. But we've spent much time throughout the last several weeks discussing and considering the fact that the church at Rome was a very diverse group of people. I mean, after all, in the at the Church of Rome, it was made up of people with many different backgrounds. It was made up with uh, people of different social statuses and religious influences. There was Jew and Gentile alike there. And each individual that was a part of this church had to deal with different things from their past even. I mean, uh, they came from different backgrounds. They had different social statuses. They had even experienced different religious training in their lifetime. And so now they're dealing with that, having come underneath the umbrella and the understanding of the gospel, having trusted Christ as their Savior, becoming a child of God. They had to deal with each and every one of these traditions that they had experienced in the past, influences that had influenced their life, and certain impressions that had been made upon their life. One thing that Paul wanted to stress and to be able to accomplish was this idea of unity within the church. Now, we already discussed that it was a diverse group, Jew and Gentile, uh, different social levels, uh, different educational levels, uh, different uh, financial levels, probably, uh, different religious backgrounds and circum certain circumstances they had experienced. And Paul wanted them to not use those issues uh, as a source of division, but he wanted to use those issues as a as a uh, uh, an opportunity to reach more based off of their unity. 
Here we had, some, uh, we had a church of believers that was made up of some Jewish people, some Gentile people. And had the Jewish people wanted to focus only on their identity as a Jew and make, somehow say that they were supreme or, or, or better than the Gentile people, it would be a source of division. And likewise, if the Gentile believer was going to focus on their, uh, their status as a Gentile and somehow say that that makes them better than the Jewish individual or, or superior in some way, then that would cause to be a, a source of division. But if they both would focus on the fact that they were children of God, their diversity would actually help them to reach more. Because there would have been plenty in those days outside of the church that were Jewish by, that were Jew by nature and uh, that would not probably be okay with a Gentile person coming up to them and trying to speak to them about the gospel. They would have, because of their, their national backgrounds, they would have said, you're not going to talk to me, go away. But the Jewish believer, being a Jew uh, uh, nationally of themselves, would have a little more input and sway into that person's life. Likewise, a Gentile might look at a Jewish individual who would try to come and share the gospel with them and say, I don't want to talk with you. We, we never have gotten along. I think of Samaritans and Jews, for instance. We, we, we never have gotten along. Why are you talking to me? Think of the woman at the well when she asked Jesus, do you not know who I am, a Samaritan woman? And, and so that would have been a barrier that would have had been overcome. But the Gentile, being of the same background to an extent, would have had a little more inroad. Now, they could use those differences as a cause of fighting. Or they could use those differences in unity as a cause for opportunity. And that's what Paul's been dealing with here. Now, what we're going to notice this morning as we go through chapter 15 and verses 8 through 13 and uh, we'll go ahead and read those in just a moment so we can springboard into it. But what we're going to notice here is that Paul is instructing the believers of Rome to not, uh, to not use their individuality as the basis of their fulfillment. But in unity underneath the umbrella of a, ch a child of God to find fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. Notice in verse number 8 what the Bible says. It says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made under the unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray, and we'll jump right into things. Our Father, we do thank you this morning for this opportunity to hear from your word. I would ask that you give me the words to speak as I deliver it this morning, and uh, help me say nothing more, nothing less than what you'd have me to say but Lord, that you be honored and magnified in everything that is said and done, that you might be told, that we might be able to apply these truths and these things that we hear from your word to our lives today, and that we might grow to know, know, you, know you greater. And uh, Lord, we ask that your will might be accomplished, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. The problem that Paul is addressing here is when a believer tries to find their fulfillment in anything outside of God. The issue in the, in, in the early days in this church at Rome would have included their, their identity nationally as Jew or Gentile. 
their issue in that day would have been dealing with their backgrounds that they had had come from. Maybe, you know, the Gentile believers in Rome, many of them had been pagan idol worshipers in their past. Whether it been worshiping the idols of Baal or worshiping the sun or whatever the case might be, they worshiped idols in the past. And now they had to deal with those things. Whether it be from the Jewish standpoint of adhering to the law and certain rituals and, and sacraments to be able to be uh, to appease God. They, they dealt with, they had to deal with their national identity. They had to deal with their religious identity. And we could go on and on. Today, the struggles we face in the church are not much different. Look at our world and tell, and tell me that this world is not made up of people who find their fulfillment in how they identify. We have all kinds of different groups and structures, and all those groups and structures are true. We're not diminishing them. We're not, we're not saying they're false. I fall into several categories in and of myself. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm a male. I'm, a, I'm an American citizen. I mean, I, I live, I'm, I, I'm an Arizonan now. My, that's where my residence is, right? I mean, there's all these different titles or, or roles that I play, the issue arises when I let any of those roles take the prominent lead in my life over that of a child of God. See, Brother Matt and I are different. He's redheaded. I'm not. We got one thing going for us. We're both thinning in our hair. That's okay, right? <laughs> Go for that, right? Amen. But we're different. Uh, I've got Three children. How many of y'all have, Matt? Including the newest one? <laughs> eight, eight, in the eight children in the household right now. Uh, we're different in that aspect. We've come from different places. I grew up in Illinois. You, came from, you grew up in Michigan. Is that right? All I'm saying is we're different in many things. And if I said, well, uh, my dark hair makes me better than him because he's got red hair and I have a darker hair, and I make, make that my identity then that causes conflict between me and him. But although I, I mean, I, him, he and I are different, if we both would have come under the umbrella and realization and put the prominent role of that we're both children of God, then it brings us into unity. In our differences, they, 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 they pale in comparison. Are you following where I'm coming from here? And the issue arises when I make make a position or an accomplishment or an ability or a situation or a circumstance or, or some opportunity that I've experienced or, or obtained when I make that who I am over the fact that I'm a child of God. Because when I make those things the main thrust of who I am, that's where I'm seeking fulfillment in. That's where I seek to, to be fulfilled from. The problem is, my friends, if I try to seek fulfillment in anything outside of Christ, all of those things are always temporal. Some people try to find fulfillment in their, in their job. And uh, they want to climb the corporate ladder. They want to make progress in their job. And they want to make a lot of money. And they want to make it to the next position and get, get to the next position and to the next position. And my friends, let me say this, that if that was where we find fulfillment, when I reach the top in that area, where else can I go? Where else can I find fulfillment? Ultimately, I'm going to get 
uh, get bored with that as well. I'm going to have to move someplace else to find fulfillment. Or, guess what? Sometimes careers come and careers go. Let's just go, let's make it simple this morning. Consider the retail world. Can anyone think of a retail store that used to be in existence that you shopped at 10, 15, 20 years ago that, aren't, that is not even in existence this anymore? When I said that this morning in the first service, somebody said Kmart. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of, right? Sears is one of them. I mean, there's, there's several. And let's not just think about the, the clerks, the, the, the cashiers. They lost their jobs, and maybe they went to Walmart, and they kept the same type of job or whatever. But let's consider the people that were up in upper management. Where did they go? It's not as easy to find a, a, a position in that nature. And all I'm saying is if that is what makes me who I am, if that's where I find my fulfillment, what happens when it's gone? What, happened when it's, what happens when it's no more? Some people find their fulfillment in their family. Job is, there's nothing wrong with a job. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. If he doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. But we find that, but when we make that the, the thrust of our life, the priority in our life, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And there's nothing wrong with family either because God instituted the family unit. But if I, if I base my happiness on whether or not my children obey my every word, I'll never be happy. <laughs> and those of you who have children, you know that to be the case. But in all reality, if I base my success and my happiness and my fulfillment off whether or not my children follow in the, the path that I want them to follow in, whether it be in career or, or into their adulthood, whatever the case might be. What if they choose a different path? What if they don't go the path that I expected for them? Where does that leave me and my fulfillment? Crushed, failing. You follow where I'm, where I'm coming from. And what I'm saying this morning is this, is we must realize, as Paul was trying to get the church at Rome to realize, that it is Jesus Christ that fulfills our life and nothing else. He's the only true source of fulfillment. He might use some of those things we've spoken about already to help fulfill our lives. Like I said, there's nothing, there nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But when we get them out of order priority-wise, it causes issues. Paul understood that fullness, the, the, the fullness that is found in Christ, and he wanted others to experience it as well. That's why he wrote to the church at Rome about these things, and that's why the, uh, it's here in the Word of God for us today as well. And I'd like to consider some certainties this morning about the fullness of Christ. I want you to notice first off with me, number one, as we jump into verse number 8 through 12 again, notice Christ's promises. We read in verse number 8, it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. And notice the last phrase, to do what? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Paul speaks of the profound, absolute promises from Christ. Notice in verse number 8, when he's considering these promises, he considers the faithfulness of these promises. What does he, see, what does he say about these promises of God? That Christ came and he fulfilled or confirmed these promises. Who were these promises to? That he had made unto the fathers. That's speaking up to the, the Jewish forefathers, to the prophets of old, in the Old Testament times. And what is being said is that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth, the Messiah 
that had been prophesied of old. The eternal, pre-existent God took upon himself the form of a servant and made himself in the fashion or likeness of man and came to this earth and thought, himself to, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He came to this earth. We've just, we just celebrated this season at Christmas time. And probably, I mean, if you were here, we've studied through the book of uh, the first uh, few chapters of Luke and, and first few chapters of Matthew. You probably read it at your home as well. But you read about how the angel came and, and declared to Mary and Joseph, you shall have a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God himself came to this earth in the form of a man, 100% God and yet 100% man. Why? To confirm the promises that were made of old. To confirm the prophecies that were made of him. Consider the fact, though, that his, his faithfulness to, this, to his promises is the fact that he said he would send a Savior, and he sent a Savior. He said he would save his people. And he was there to save his people. But you understand this morning that the Bible tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. The Jewish people, Jesus came to them and many of them rejected him. Many of them just disputed the fact that he was Savior, that he was Messiah. Many of them would not accept him for who he was. In fact, that's why we read in the Gospels, when he rides into Jerusalem, they're, they're standing there waving palm branches saying, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise, praise. And then just a few days later, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Because they did not accept him for who he was, the Savior, the Messiah. Years later, after his resurrection, though, the church at Rome is, is growing, it is flourishing. The gospel is being preached, and you know who is being reached? Jewish people that had rejected the Savior. Those who did not accept him for who he was. Those who said, no, there is a Messiah, but he's not it. Now, underneath the conviction of the Holy Spirit, hearing the gospel proclaimed again and again and again, and they turning and putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Guess what? Jesus was faithful to the promise of salvation and saved them still. You say, they didn't deserve it. They rejected him. But that's how faithful his promises are. His, faithful, his promises are not based off of our acceptance. His promises is not, uh, they're not based off of our, uh, our, our belief. His promises are true regardless. And even though they rejected, when they turned to him for salvation, he extended that salvation to them. What an awesome God. That he would promise to send the Savior, and he did. And then those that would reject him as Savior, when they finally come to their senses and turn to him, they, he still accepted him. That's the faithfulness of the promises of our God. But notice he speaks of the graciousness of, his, of these promises as we move into verse number 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will conf confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. I'll stop there for the sake of time. But consider, as Paul speaks of how gracious God is now to extend his salvation to those who were not his own. As we read through the Old Testament, if we have a, a proper understanding of it, we realize that when God came to Abraham and the Ur of the Chaldees and said, follow me and I'll make of you a great nation, that was the beginning of the Jewish people. 
And all throughout the whole Old Testament, whenever God wanted to reveal himself to them, to them, the Jews, or whether he wanted to reveal himself to a Gentile person, he always used his people in the process. Consider the fact that we're, re- we're studying through the book of Daniel on Wednesdays. And God, in chapter number two, came to Nebuchadnezzar and gave him a dream. But Nebuchadnezzar couldn't understand the dream. He called all of his wise men and all the people, all the astronomers and astrologers around and said, hey, tell me this dream. And they couldn't give him the, dream, the meaning of the dream. Who had to come and give him the meaning of the dream? Daniel. Daniel was a Jew. And he would use his people to reveal himself to not only them, but also to the entire world. But now God is extending his grace and his mercy to all mankind. And consider the graciousness of his promise to, to involve them and to extend it to the Gentile world as well. And notice that he speaks of the provision that was given to them. He provided for them a way of salvation. I'm glad he did too because that includes me today. God in his grace and mercy extended and provided a way of salvation for you and I. Notice in verses 10 and 11 though the praise that is spoken of. And again, he saith, rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. Who's his people? The Jewish people. He's saying, hey, you get to join in praise with the people of God. You are joined in together. You're underneath one umbrella. You're in the one family, the family of God. He says in verse number 12, or 11, and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and loud him, all ye people. Here we have a group of individuals, these, these Gentile believers, who before time had worshipped idols, they had worshipped the moon and the sun and the stars and nature and all kinds of, uh, of craziness. They would bow down and worship and they would call out. I, I think of, the, uh, uh, of Elijah as he stands before the 400 prophets of Baal, right? And, and, uh, and they're cutting themselves and, and, uh, and they're doing all kinds of crazy lunacy trying to get their God's attention and nothing's happening. These Gentile people that Paul is writing to now in the church of Rome represent that group and their past and what they were and where they came from. And he's saying, look back at where you came from and look at what the Lord has provided for you. Doesn't it ring and swell up within your heart a heart of praise? That's why he said, praise the Lord and rejoice with his people. My friends, it should do the same for you and I today. I don't know everyone's testimony in here this morning, but my testimony is simply this, that as a six-year-old little boy, I called upon Christ as my Savior. I mean, really, how much wickedness can a six-year-old little boy have, uh, have accomplished in his mere six years here on this earth? But when I recognized the fact that my sin would have sent me to the same hell as any murderer or any pedophile, I can't help but praise the Lord for what he's done for me. And I ought to do the same for you, my friends, because the promise of God is faithful. The promise of God is gracious. Notice his gracious promise, not only the the, uh, provision of that promise and the praise that results from this promise, but notice our position because of the promise in verse number 12. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse. And he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. What does a root do? It's the, it's the source in which the plant grows, right? He says there will be a root of Jesse. That root of Jesse is Jesus Christ. 
out of Jesus, that root will all the people, all the family of God grow. You know what he's in essence saying? Jew and Gentile alike, regardless of their background, regardless of how they had, a, had a maybe identified before, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, they all come from the same root. Again, pr- pointing to the unity that ought to be found in the people of God. We might have differences about us, but what ought to, the thing that ought to identify us is our position as a part of God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice number two as we get into the last verse, verse number 13. Notice secondly with me, not only uh, Christ's promise, but number two, Christ's peace. Paul speaks here of the peace that is only found in Jesus Christ. This is why he is the only one that can fulfill our hearts and fulfill our lives. In verse number 13, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Consider with me this morning the source of this peace or the source of this, this fulfillment. It says it right there at the beginning of the verse, but it says in verse number 13 that it is the God of hope that fills us. As I stated earlier, there are plenty of things in our lives that many a times we find ourselves trying to attach ourselves to and find fulfillment from that. But those things might only last for a season and cannot give us true, uh, real fulfillment. And so therefore, the source of real fulfillment only comes from Christ himself. The peace that, Christ, that, that, that we can experience only comes from Christ. We cannot sit there and say, well, what makes me who I am is this, or what makes me who I am is that. What we ought to say is what makes me who I am is Jesus Christ in me. And he might bless us with certain things, but when he chooses to take those things away, we can still have that peace. Because our peace is not found in those circumstances or situations or tangible things we hold. Our peace is found in who gave us that peace. The one Jesus Christ. But notice this is a a significant uh, gift to us as well. Notice verse number uh, 13 again. Now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. You You know what God could have done? I mean, because we're sinners, the Bible's clear. We've discussed this already through the book of Romans. What, what, as sinners, we deserve to spend an eternity in a place called hell. And God could have said, well, I want to extend my, my, I'm going to extend my grace to you or, and mercy to you in the extent that if you'll believe in me, I will just make it to where you don't have to experience hell, but not give us heaven. He could have done that. He could have just made us a, a way of escape from hell, and when we die, that just been, uh, been it. We live this life, and we die, and we just cease to exist, and we, never, we don't have to experience hell, but we don't experience anything else. But that's not where God took us. God gave us a greater gift than even that. And the fact that he did give us an opportunity, opportunity to escape that penalty of hell, but he also gave us an opportunity to an experience an eternity in heaven with him. Man. If salvation from hell was all we got, that's more than what we deserved. But the fact that he gave us heaven as well is even more greater than what we deserve. But he didn't stop there either, my friends. This is how significant this gift of God is to us. He caused it to, he, he made it to where we don't have to experience hell, but instead we get to experience heaven for all of eternity with him. But while we're still here on this earth, He's also given us the opportunity to have a relationship with him 
right here and right now. He doesn't leave us alone to go through this life by ourselves. He doesn't leave us alone to where we have to only find fulfillment in the circumstances in which we are experiencing right here and right now. He doesn't leave us alone to where we only find fulfillment in what we're able to accomplish through our own power and through our own might or understanding or accomplishments. No, he's given us a significant gift in the fact that we can escape hell, we can experience heaven, and that we get him right now in a relationship with him right now as well. His peace, he's the source of this peace. It's a significant peace, but notice it's a su the sufficiency of this peace as well. In verse number 13, that uh, joy and peace in believing, notice what it says in the next phrase, that ye may abound in hope. God does not expect his people to just simply get by in life. He doesn't just want us to have this attitude of, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. Woe is me. I just want to get by. He wants us to have a victorious life. But my friends, don't, get, don't, miss, don't, mix, don't miss, this, miss this point. A victorious life doesn't mean that there won't be trouble. Because how can we experience victory without a battle? And truly, when we compare victory in our mindset to what victory is seen in Christ, they don't really match up most of the time. To us, in our physical, sinful mindset... Victory, is, it doesn't look like victory when you're being betrayed by one of your own. In our physical sinful mindset, it doesn't look like victory when the Roman guards are putting a, a shackles and handcuffs upon you. In our physical sinful mindset, it doesn't look like victory when you're carried away and beaten with a, a, a cat of nine tails. It doesn't look like victory when you're spat upon and mocked and your beard plucked out of your face. It doesn't look like victory when you, are, uh, when you have a, a crown of thorns driven into your head. It doesn't look like victory when you're laid on a cross and, and nails driven into your hands and into your feet. It doesn't look like victory when all the soldiers that are around you are mocking you and gambling for your garments. It doesn't look like victory when you hang there and you die. It doesn't look like victory when they come along and they take you off the cross and put you in the grave. None of those things look like victory. But my friends, Christ arose, and that is where the victory is found. And when we realize that he is the source of our peace, that it is a significant peace that he can give, we understand that his peace is sufficient as well, and that we can abound regardless of the circumstance, because we will face victory. When Jesus Christ was being beaten, many didn't think he would be victorious. When Jesus Christ was being mocked, many didn't think he would be victorious. When many people saw that Jesus Christ was being hung on the cross, there was many that didn't think that he would be victorious. And as day one in the grave went by, they thought, well, I knew he wasn't going to come back. When day two went by and he was in the grave, they was like, yep, I knew it was right. I don't know why anybody followed him. But day three, my friends, came. And he rose again from the grave. And everything that he experienced that seemed like defeat to everyone else ultimately led to his victory. And the victory that we can have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a victory that is sufficient for every circumstance and every situation. 
When I face tr financial difficulties, it might not seem like I'm going to be victorious. When I face health problems, it might not seem like I'm going to be victorious. When, it, when I'm facing family problems, it might not seem like I'm going to be victorious. But my friends, when I stand before my Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face, oh, what victory it will be. God doesn't want us to go through this life as woe is me or just to get by. He wants us to abound because we know that faith is the victory for he has overcome the world. Notice here also the support that comes in this piece. The last phrase of that verse, of verse number 13. They may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit that the Lord has given us that we receive the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior. It is the Spirit that seals us unto the day of redemption. It is the Spirit that leads us into all truth. It is the Spirit that is the comforter that Christ promised that would come. And He is the source of that peace that we can have in the midst of every circumstance or situation. Now here's, here's where, I'm, where I'm coming from this morning, though. You want to know why Christ satisfies? You want to know why we find fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone? One, because He's God. But two, because He's the one through which is the source of our fulfillment. Everything else is temporal. Everything else will fade away. And if I try to seek fulfillment in those things, it might seem like I found something for a period of time, but it ultimately one day will fail. Paul, speaking of unity, within the church at Rome, to a great diverse group of people, he said, listen, if you want real unity, then you need to find your, your, your fulfillment within Christ. Because if you try to allow your nationality background to be what defines you only, it ain't going to do it. It's actually going to cause division. Jew and Gentile will fight. If it's your social economical uh, status, it ain't going to work. Because if you're better off than someone else, it's going to cause division. If it's your race or color, it's not going to work. It's going to cause division. But if I put at the top of my list and where I seek and, and try to find fulfillment in, and that is that I'm a child of God and that he's the provider of true peace, then come what may, I can experience that peace. But if I try to find peace in my job, when that job fails, I won't have peace. If I try to find peace in my bank account, when it fails, <laughs> I won't have peace. When I, have pe when I find my, my fulfillment in Christ, the peace is available at all times. And when I have peace in Christ, and that's my supply, that's my fulfillment, and, that, and that's where your fulfillment, and that's where your supply comes from, our differences are not divisive any longer our differences are opportunity within the unity that christ has given us can i say that that is why it is imperative that we trust christ as our savior because he's the only source of true fulfillment he's the only source of of all of our needs we sang the last song that we sang as far as the congregational hymns are 
all I need. He is all I need. Mrs. Matchett sang a, a song about the peace of Christ. There is peace in Christ. They had no idea what my message was this morning when they planned these things, but the Lord did. And the theme, the message is clear. Christ fulfills, and he alone. There, when it comes to spiritual matters, there are plenty out there that will try to find fulfillment in other things. They'll try to find it in religious acts. Well, I'll, I'll fulfill my way to heaven by being faithful to church or giving to charities or doing some type of religious act. My friend, that will not suffice. Only Christ fulfills that need. Just as he fulfills the need for salvation, he fulfills the need of every day as well. And would we just surrender to him and say, Lord, hey, what I, how I identify, what makes me is that I'm your child and you provide and fulfill, for me, uh, fulfill my needs. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, this morning? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes out of respect of others today. I'm going to ask a few simple questions before we enter into a time of invitation. My first question being this, how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved, and I know I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die today, I'd stand before Christ, and I'd hear, welcome home, child. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up as a testimony of that. Hands all across this auditorium. Praise the Lord to be in the uh, for the opportunity to be in the presence of other believers today. I wonder, though, who, if there would be anyone here who would say, Pastor, if I die today, I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that there's ever been a time where I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Could I pray for you this morning? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? Anybody like that? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure I'm saved. And one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. All those things are settled. He has fulfilled my need of salvation. Pastor, would you pray for me that I would keep him at the top of my priority list? That I would not let anything else take place of uh, meeting my needs. That I wouldn't let friends or family or acquaintances or jobs or opportunities or circumstances or situations. I would not let any of those things supersede Christ on my list to where I would seek, their, seek fulfillment in them as opposed to seeking fulfillment in Christ. I know that I've had times in my life where... I've looked at certain circumstances or opportunities or even positions and said, yeah, that's what makes me who I am. My friends, that isn't what makes me who I am. What makes me who I am is Christ and Christ in me. When I keep that the focus of my life, he will fulfill my need. And one of my greatest needs is to have his peace in my life. And I can experience that regardless of the circumstance or situation. As long as I have him in the rightful place in my life as the priority of the fulfillment of my need. It's whenever I put anything else in his place that I start finding discontentment. I start finding issues in my life. And I feel like things begin to crumble. Who here would say, Pastor, pray with me. That I would remember at all times that it is Christ who fulfills and nothing else. Can I pray with you this morning? My hand is up. Hands all across this auditorium. I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, the music is going to begin to play from the, from the back back there. 
As the music begins to play, if you'd like to come forward to the, to the steps here at the front and make an altar, we encourage you and invite you even to do so. If you're unable to kneel here at the front, right there in the comfort of your own seat, if you'd call out to the Lord, say, Lord, you are what I need. You are what fulfills my life. And I know that circumstances and situations and loss, it hurts. It can cause pain. But it is not, those are not the source of my peace. My peace is found in you. Because Christ, you fulfill my life. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your word. Lord, I'd ask now that you'd help us all to take it to heart. That we'd be able to apply it to our lives. Having known more about you today because of the message. Lord, we ask that you be on glorified through it. That your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins to play, the altars are open. If the Lord's spoken to your heart and you'd like to come front, I'd encourage you to kneel here before the Lord and, and, uh, and just give Him your needs, whatever it might be. If you're unable to kneel right there, uh, here at the front, right there where you're at, if you'd call out to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my plea, here's my need, here's the circumstances and situations that I'm facing, and maybe I found myself focusing on them for my joy and contentment, for my peace. God, I realize that you are the ultimate source. You are the fulfillment of my needs. And even when I feel like I'm physically lacking, when, I'm, when I feel like I'm lacking here in this present world, that I know that I have you, and that is all that I need. However the Lord spoke into your heart, we hope that you can call out to him this morning. Give him your needs. Give him your desires. Ask him to help you through these times. Thank you so much. You can be seated this morning. We're glad that you were able to be here with us. Uh, we're going to have our up next video highlighting a few things that are up and coming, and, and I do pray that you'll mark them on your calendar if they apply to you and be a part of them if you're able. Uh, but after that, we'll be dismissed in prayer. I'm going to ask Kyle, uh, Kyle, uh, Brother Kyle Norris, if he would, uh, to pray and dismiss us after the video. And we're so grateful that you were able to be here with us today. But let's find out what's coming up next. Welcome to Mountain Vista Baptist Church. We're so grateful that you could join us. If you're a guest, 